other highlights for me is what we've just done this morning, is to pray for children. And children are such a blessing from God. And um, these are part of the privileges of enjoying church community. And I've, I've been a Christian for many years, and I've always enjoyed the community of the church. And um, I want to speak to you this morning about community, about church family, about what it means to belong to a church community. And you'll know one of our values is that we are planted in family, that this would become a family for everyone who wants it to be their family. And so I'm going to look at some of these uh, things this morning. And I'm going to use three sources. Obviously, one is the scripture. Another one is an article that I read from the Gospel Coalition. And the third is a, a blog uh, by Philip Yancey, who's one of my favorite uh, writers. But as an introduction, can I just say this? We do, we do live in very strange times. We live in a weird world. Our world is the most advanced it's ever been. Its tech, technology is uh, at the heart of what it's ever been. And yet, people are more and more disconnected. It's like this real dichotomy that we have. We have all this technology to connect us, but really, people at a heart level are still incredibly disconnected and lonely. And um, our world actually lifts up independence and as a virtue. It kind of um, it says that independence is the highest thing that we should aim at. And as Christians, if you know, if you're a believer this morning, we acknowledge, Christians acknowledge a dependence on God at a very basic level. We say that we can't do it ourselves. We say that we need Jesus and we need God to help us. And that's why we are Christians. So at a very basic level, we do recognize a dependency. And Scripture never makes the mistake of saying that we don't need each other. As Christians, we need each other. Uh, for example, Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says a very simple thing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And the second commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when these guys, these religious people were asking Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he simply says, to love God with all your heart and then to love each other like you love God with all of your heart. And so I want to encourage you to think about that carefully. And I want to encourage you this morning, that's what I, I hope to do with you, is to explore that idea a little bit. Closely following our need for God and for His grace in our lives is our need for each other. And if there is a disconnection, if you don't understand that connection that there is between loving God and needing other people, then I want to say to you that we are more influenced by the world in which we live than we should be. First, point, first thing I want to say by way of introduction, there is an epidemic of aloneness in the world. There's an epidemic of lonely people trying to find connection with each other. We work with STEP, uh, the St. Albans Education Project, and uh, we were having lunch on Friday, and some of the people talking around the table were just saying, in schools, young children are lonely. You're seven and you're eight. When they speak to the teachers about what is concerning them most, they say, we are lonely. We don't have any friends. There's an epidemic of aloneness and isolation in our communities. 
And I put it to you this morning that our technology does not help us. It doesn't help us. You can now do your banking from your house. You can now no longer need to even speak to anyone. You just send a social media message. Twitter, Facebook. You don't even have to be in face-to-face contact anymore with your friends. You can have this virtual friendship and it's not helping us. People drive to work alone or they stand, if you you commute to London, you know how this is possible, (laughs) that you can stand on the train and you're in the midst of this big crowd of people and you can feel absolutely alone. Like you are just there. No one speaks to each other, no one makes eye contact, and yet the train is full. We drive to work alone, we go to the train alone, we do our own projects on our own personal computer. We don't speak to anyone for the whole of the day or really interact with them, and then we go home alone. And unfortunately, church can be like that for some people. They drive to church alone or with their family. They come through the doors. They drink coffee by themselves. They come in, worship, sing the songs, listen to the preacher, go home alone. Well, I put it to you this morning, that's not church, that's not community. And that's not what God intends for us as His people. When we realize our connection with the vertical, with God, we have to begin to live in a relationship with each other. And I'm not here to beat you up this morning or to accuse you. I'm here to encourage you to find deep friendship with each other. Because that's what church is. Church is about relationship. It's about community. And so I say to you this morning, my second point, is that being disconnected is unbiblical and it's illogical. In a very basic way. The Scripture always connects us with each other and says that's how we live life, is with each other. And so, God doesn't want us to live as Christians apart from dynamic community, apart from intimate friendship with each other. And I can list many, many reasons why that should be so, but by way of introduction, I want to just mention two things. The first is this, that the world can see the power of God at work through Christians that love and care for each other. It's as simple as that. We show the world what we mean that God so loved the world when we love each other, when we take care of each other. What does John 13, 34 says? It says very simply, a new commandment I give to you is that you love one another. You love one another. When we relate to each other, and I want to put it to you, when we relate to people that are different from us, that are not the same from us, we start to love in a different way. It's easy to love someone who's like you. But we are called as Christians to love everybody, those that are like us and those that are not like us. And that, when we do that, we are expressing the love of Christ to the world. And uh, Hebrews 10, the scripture says, don't get into the habit of not meeting with each other as some are doing, but do all that you can to stand with and encourage each other. All right? And so there's this very, very practical thing that as we love each other, we're simply showing the love of God to the world. The second introductory point I want to make is this. No matter how strong you are, you can't bear your burdens alone. None of us can. No matter how strong we are, 
we cannot bear our burdens alone. We all will get encouragement and support from somewhere. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. When you bear someone else's burden, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is simply that we love people. And so, you all know that uh, we went through a difficult time with Matt a, a couple of years ago. But the, the friends that we have in this church at that time in our lives were absolutely amazing. They really were. Our life group was amazing. The guys prayed for us. They encouraged us. They gave us meals. They gave us lifts to the hospital. They helped us in so many ways. And we couldn't have, in a very practical way, they were bearing our burden with us. They were making the burden that was up on our lives lighter because they were helping to carry it. And as I was thinking this week, it reminded me of the story of the paralytic. Remember the, the friends of the paralytic? And they wanted to get this paralyzed guy to Jesus who'd been paralyzed all his life. So they did all that they could. They, they, took, they got onto the roof. They took the, the rafters off. They, they lowered him down. They did everything that they could to help him get into the presence of Jesus. And that's what we do when we bear each other's burdens. We help in a very, very practical way. And so I want to say this. If you have friends or if you know people that are Christians that are trying to live the Christian life apart from Christian community, apart from church, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to try and help them find a local church where they can at least be encouraged and fed, and at the same time they can learn to serve others. That's what is God has for us. Why? Because great friendships are formed when we start to work together for the sake of the kingdom. And we can be connected on a much deeper level. And so, if you are part of this church community, and you are experiencing that blessing in your life already, I want to ask you to notice people that are not yet connected like that, and to help them get connected in some way. It's all of our responsibility, isn't it? I trust that this church is going to continue to thrive and grow. And the way that this church is going to continue to thrive and grow is not that I'm going to have to learn to preach a whole lot better. I'm doing my best to preach as best I can and the worship musicians to lead worship as best they can. How this church is going to grow is that each of us, you and I, are going to start talking to our friends about the good thing that God is doing in our lives. And as we simply talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives and share our lives with our friends, others are going to come to see what God is doing in you. That's how the church grows. Yeah? One, one heart, one family, one life changed at a time. That's how it's going to grow. And so, I say to you that solo Christianity, living Christianity on your own, is unbiblical, it's illogical, and Christian community is both biblical and powerful. And I want to encourage you this year as we go forward, as a church community, to open your heart to people. And I want to say to the guys who've been in the church for many, many years, open your heart to people. Open your heart to new people. It's always difficult to open your heart again, isn't it? Yeah? yeah? Well, that's what we're called to do. We're called to love each other. Love each other deeply from the heart. And so, um, I want to say this. Thirdly, Christian community, what we do as church, is worked out 
where we are known and where we can be known. Where we are known, where people can know us, and where we can be known by others. That is true community. I love our life group. We have a bunch of guys there. And it's the one place in the church where I just can be myself. I don't ever go there feeling like I have to put on a show or kind of be very particularly spiritual or anything. I just go, I hang out, we laugh, we have coffee, we pray for each other. It's a great place for me, personally, where I can be known by others. Where they can say to me, well, Aunt, you obviously didn't have a good week. And I can say, yeah, this week was tough. And I can be real about my own life. Yes? We all have to be real. Come on. Especially the pastor. We put people on pedestals, don't we? And society loves to do that, especially our English community. We love to raise people up onto a big pedestal, and then we like to see them fall. Don't we? And when they fall, we say, I told you so! I told you so! Our media is very good at doing that, isn't it? Builds people up, builds people up. And once they're on the pedestal, does all it can to destroy their lives. Bring them down. Just bring them down a peg or two. Well, I need you and you need me. I need you so I can be real and I want to be real with you. That's it. (laughs) Come on now. So this is where um, I'd like to read you quite a a lengthy um, portion from a blog by Philip Yancey. I I met Philip Yancey last year. He's a delightful guy. He's an American. And he was writing about mega church. He's a very good preacher. He was asked to preach at this megachurch in America. Now, the defini- definition of a megachurch is anything over 2,000 members, all right? That's considered a megachurch. And in the American context, there are 1,300 churches in America that are over 2,000 members. And some of them have 20,000, 30,000. I'm visiting a church in Chicago in um, December that has 38,000 members. Uh, it's like going to... It's like going to uh, meet with a small town every time you go to church. I don't know how they do it, but anyway, I'm going to find out. And he's just, just talking about these big churches, and this is the, the reality, is that our, our society applauds big, our society says big is best, and so there's the sense in Christian community that if your church is not big, somehow it's failing. It's not doing what it should do. And uh, this kind of thing of big church is applauded and lauded and, and say, oh, that's, that's the best thing for us. I want to ask this question, is it really the best thing for us? And I'm not knocking big church. I, I hope that this church will continue to grow. I hope that those chairs are going to be filled. I hope that I'm trusting God that we will have multiple meetings in this church hall, that we'll have more than one service on a Sunday. Why? Because there's so many people that need Jesus. Not because I want a big church, but because Jesus needs to be glorified. And He is bringing many sons to glory. And there are many... I want to ask you this this morning. Do you have someone in your family that you are longing for to know Christ? Because if you do, they can find a home here in this church community. That's the dream that we have, is that this community will be transformed along with all the other churches that preach the gospel so that Jesus can be glorified. And so I hope over the course of this year we will progressively unstack those chairs at the back there and put them out so many, many more people can find Christ here. All right? So this is what Yancey um, is talking about, and he says this about megachurches. He says, I'll say one thing for megachurches. They can afford quality. The sermon was both entertaining and insightful, 
The super loud music was flawless. I declined the earplugs that were considerately offered me at the welcome booth. And the parking volunteers got us in and out of the building in record time. Yet the majority of Americans, like me, still attend churches with less than 200 members. The vast majority of churches in the whole world are less than 200 members. And we show up on Sundays to hear less entertaining sermons and less professional music, and we seldom have trouble finding a parking space. Why? Well, smaller towns normally don't have the option of mega churches, of course, and big crowds make some people nervous. But I found one more reason when I came across this observation in G.K. Chesterton's book, Heretics. And he's quoting Chesterton. He says this, The man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world. Can I say that again? The man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world. The reason is obvious. In a large community... We can choose our companions. In a small community, our companions choose us. That's the point. That's precisely the point. Given the choice, all of us would hang out with people that are like us. All of us would. Same nationality, same culture. Like the same things, those are the people that we would hang out with. He puts it like this. He said, I would tend to hang out with people who have college degrees, who drink dark roast coffee, listen to the same music, and buy their cars based on the ratings of their mileage ratings. Yet after a while, I get bored with people that are exactly like me. Smaller groups and smaller churches force me to rub shoulders with everybody else. And I still have in my heart a dream for a multicultural, multi-age community of believers, where we really do have people that are friends from every background. We really do have old people friends with young people. We really do have it. Not just that all the young people go off to their super cool events so they can be super cool together. What's the point of that? That's not family. That's not community. Every family has a grandpa and a grandmum and an uncle and an aunt and kids Every family. Surely the church family should be that. Not just all the super cool hanging out with all the super cool. Come on now. That's a club. Henry Nowen, who I've quoted before, he says this. Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. (laughs) You know, the one that annoys you. (laughs) And community is where you learn to get on with that person. And so, he reminds us with this, he says, um, anyone can form a club, but it takes grace, it takes shared vision and hard work to form a community. And the Christian church was the first institution in history to bring together on equal footing Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slaves, and free. And Paul says that when that happens, there's something of this mystery of the church that begins to happen. And so I'm concluding the section with this. Yancey goes on to say this. Church is the one place I visit that brings together all the generations. Infants still held at their mother's breast. 
children who squirm and giggle at all the wrong times, responsible adults who know exactly what to do and act appropriately at all times, the senior citizens who may drift to sleep if the preacher drones on too long. That's what church is, isn't it? It should be that. And then he says, I know one mega church that tries to seat people based on their commonality. Senior citizens down the front where they can hear. Single adults over there where they can meet each other. Families with young children in the back so they can sit, they can exit quickly if their kids make too much noise. It strikes me that this is all wrong. I deliberately seek out a congregation comprising of people not like me. And I find such people less avoidable in smaller communities. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you that this church community increasingly becomes a place where we can learn about grace, forgiveness, diversity, accepting people from all backgrounds that are not the same as ours. Why? Because we work out relationship where we are known and where we can be known, where we allow someone to know us. And so, my fourth point. I said half an hour, I've got ten minutes left. As our church grows, as our church community grows, we need to grow bigger and smaller at the same time. We need to grow bigger and smaller at the same time. Uh, this is what I mean. Jesus did preach to groups of 5,000 people. The Bible says that he did that. There were large crowds that gathered to hear him preach. But the most of his time was spent with smaller groups of people, wasn't it? With his disciples, with the 52, with others. He was hanging out with smaller groups of people as he was preaching to the great crowds. And um, if you remember, when Jesus went back to heaven... And uh, Ascension is being celebrated at the moment uh, all over the world by Christians. The disciples were left behind kind of staring up into heaven, weren't they? That's what they did. <laughs> they said up to heaven, well, what do we do now? And the one thing that they did know to do was that they needed to be together. So after they got over the shock of Jesus going back to, to, to heaven, what did they do? They went to the upper room in Jerusalem, and they hung out together. After three years of being with Jesus, the one thing that they knew they needed to do was to be together. And so a group of them, of disciples, got together in the upper room, and what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out in power upon that group. And what transformed this, this bunch of guys, they were nervous and frightened into a, a small group of men and women that changed the world, was the Holy Spirit being poured out. And so I say that to kind of encourage you in terms of small groups, in terms of life groups or whatever you want to call them. At their core, life groups are simply groups of people, men and women, who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, who are determined to work out their relationship with God and with each other and be on a mission together to see the community transformed. That's what a small group is at its core. It's as simple as that. And uh, having been um, around church life for many, many years, often people want to kind of come up with a really sexy reason why we should have small groups. And we've got to come up with a, a new theory about small groups, how big they are, and how big they need to be, and how we need to multiply them. At the heart of everything is simply this. Unless we buy into a New Testament 
um, pattern like they did in the book of Acts, that we love God and we need to be with each other, we're always going to have to come up with a new reason why we should do small groups. <laughs> always. The only reason to do small groups is because that's what they did in the Scripture and it's where we get an opportunity to love people and to demonstrate love for people and to be known and for us to know each other. It's a part of a spiritual community. I want to encourage you, if all you do in your small group is eat together, it's not a small group. If all it is is about friendship, it's a friendship club. A small group is a group of people that are brought together by the Holy Spirit who love God and love each other, and then, out of that love for God and each other, there starts to be something missional that happens where we're trying to draw people in that don't know Him. Do you hear me? I'm not accusing anyone. There must be some kind of spiritual activity when you get together in a small group. Must pray sometime. Must. Must encourage each other. Surely. <laughs> You're looking at me like, I'm crazy. No, but this is what we do. This is, this is how we live. Are you with me? And so that's how Jesus, what he modeled and what he taught. So there's this connection. We love God. We love each other. We're connected to the mission of Jesus and we work it out in smaller communities. And so in our church, you can meet uh, these midweek groups that meet, Helen has started a ladies' group. This thing that I'm doing uh, at, at the pub on Sunday night, it's just another way of saying we want to connect. We want to build friendship. We want God to trust God to do something in us and through us into the community. And so here I come to Acts 2.42, right at the end, which says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, they had everything in common, they sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone who had need. And I'll put it to you this morning that this group, this small group life, produces fruit. That's the kind of fruit it produces when we get together. They were meeting in the temple, and they were meeting in each other's homes, and when they were meeting in each other's homes, this is what happened. This is the evidence. So there's, we can learn a couple of things. First, there's this knitting together of the church community that happens when we meet together like this. And um, it says in Ephesians that it's very important that we do that because we then start to grow up into the full measure of Christ. And we're not tossed this way and that way by every new thing, every wind of doctrine. No, we're coming into the maturity of Christ, who is the head, and we are building each other up in love. That's the first reason. It connects, and we fit it together in community. Secondly, it's where grace is administered. It's where grace comes to us. 1 Peter 4.10 Each has received a gift and should use it to serve one another as God's stewards of varied grace. In other words, When we are saved, God gives us all spiritual gifts. And when we are in a small group context, we get to work out that gift with other people. And they are gifts to help us serve each other and do that effectively. And so I've said to you before, I've probably got one or two spiritual gifts, maybe two or three, which I'm trying to use to the best of my ability. But I need to surround myself with people that have other gifts, those that have a gift of administration, those that are a gift of mercy, those that have various other gifts. Why? To complete my life. 
I, can't, I don't have all the gifts. No one has all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts either. We need each other to complete what God is doing in our lives. Yes? And so in that sense, we are all needy people. We all need each other. I need you, and you need me. And simply, a small group context is where you tell your story, and you share your life, and you let other people tell their story and share their lives. And over a period of years, hopefully the story of our life starts to conform to the story of the life of Jesus, and we become more and more like Him. That's what it's about. And so you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I want to encourage you over the course of this year to get in connected into some kind of group. Get connected. If you're not working as one of the ladies, meet with Helen and the girls that are doing some art on on Wednesday. Uh, You can meet with us, I mean Thursday. When is it? Thursday. It's all on the church calendar. There are various groups that meet during the week. If you don't have one near you, we will start one near you. We do need to start some new groups because the church is growing. Why? Because the third reason is this. People are spurred on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10. When we get together in a small group, we spur each other on. We encourage each other. Come on, we're going to do this thing. We're going to see the kingdom of God come as we stand with and encourage each other. And so I'd like to conclude with a scripture, Colossians 1.28. And I love the scripture. Listen to Paul. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the Colossian church. And he says this. He says, Him we proclaim, that is Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all, with all wisdom, so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. For this I struggle with all the energy that He powerfully works in me, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and all of those who have not yet seen me face to face, that their hearts might be encouraged. That's what he says. That they might be encouraged in their hearts, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's heart. He says his goal, his goal for these Christians, or scattered around in all these churches, his goal is that all of the believers are encouraged, all the believers, their hearts are knit together in strong ties of love. And he says, I want you to have that confidence, I want you to know that for yourself, so that you can have a full understanding of God's plans for your life, which are all shown to you in Jesus. That's his heart. That, I would say, is my heart for this church. That we would be knit together, knit together tightly, our hearts knit together in love. Yeah? That's true unity, isn't it? That our hearts are one. And so Paul said he had to work really hard at doing that to achieve that result. And I want to say to you that we have to put our energy into the same thing of really, really loving each other, getting, letting people know us, Letting us be known by other people, that's true community. That's what we have. So I, 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 I trust we will stop asking the question, why should we have small groups? <laughs> Let's stop asking that question and trying to motiv- motivate each other. Unless you truly believe, unless you have bought in at a very basic level that you are loved by God and that because you are loved by God, your responsibility is to love other people. And to open your heart, unless you are consumed by that, you will always be asking, why should I do it? <laughs> and at the basic, basic, basic point of connection, we love God, and because we love God, we love other people, and we open our hearts, and we meet together, and we say, I want to share my life with you, will you please share your life with me? That's it. It's as simple as that. 
It really is. So I want to encourage you, find a place this year where you can connect your life to somebody else, where you can be built up, encouraged, strengthened. And I know there are many groups that are doing that already, and let's trust God for many, many more, all right? Because this is great when we get together like this on a Sunday, but there's another thing that happens when we share lives in a deeper level with fewer people, and that's also what God has for us. Amen.